0: Anyway, back to the podcast. So normally on an Easter Sunday, I will lay out the proofs, okay? Why you believe it. And then I'll look at the counter arguments uh, of why some people don't believe it. Um, And actually, if you you are unfamiliar with that sort of, you know, uh, historic versus um, different ideas point of view, look at my sermon from a year ago. Um, There's a lot written on it. But today, I want to kind of assume that you're at least 1% open to the chance that Jesus Christ literally did come back from the grave. Because, really, if you are relatively settled on that truth, the next really juicy question is kind of like, well, so what, Tom? How is this relevant to my life? And that's what I actually want to look at today. Because there's a kind of holy logic that the Bible uses. If X... Therefore, why? If this man literally came back from the dead, logically, even if you are not a big emotional person, logically, you have to conclude a whole host of massively significant implications as a result. Um, The Bible ties the rising of a dead body from from, from death to life with a whole host of the major things that Christians go on about. So let me give you a quick example. I think we've got a little uh, slide up here just from the book of Acts alone. There we go. Look at that. Wowzers. That's a lot of writing. If you go through the book of Acts in your own time, this is just Acts, right? One bit of the New Testament. It connects physical healings with the rising of Jesus Christ from the dead. I... Physical healings didn't just happen mystically because of the universe aligning. It it claims because a man has come back from the dead, Jesus Christ, he's really busy healing people now. That's what it does. That's what it says. It connects the conversion of sinners with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It, looks at, it connects the salvation by union with Jesus, with him from, from the dead. It, it connects his role as head of the church and the forgiveness of sins and comfort for the dying. There's a bit where Stephen is literally stoned to death. And it isn't just like, oh, yeah, you know, and he has this extraordinary kind of serenity to him. this peace amidst awful death. And it connects that serenity with the fact that he's seeing the resurrected Jesus. It's not that Jesus, you know, that Stephen was just like a stoic, tough guy. He wasn't a cowboy and just like, you know, he didn't give in to his emotions. He saw it, Jesus Christ, literally before him and pointed to him and gave him an incredible boldness even in the time of death. The commissioning of the gospel messengers, freedom from the penalty and the power of sin, the assurance of, that the gospel is true, our own resurrection and even Jesus' future judgment are all tied and connected to the foundational claim that Jesus Christ has physically come back from the dead. So if you would say you don't have a Christian worldview, you might, you, might, you, know, you might be picking up what I'm saying here. The number one thing that I think, humbly, you might want to consider is, is this thing true? I was an atheist until I was 20, and this was the central thing that I hounded my dad with every night when he got back from work. He was a Christian, I wasn't a Christian. I was like, but dad, but dad, the resurrection, the resurrection. something in me was like, well, logically, if this is actually true, this is astronomically important. But today, I want to look at one specific implication of the rising of Jesus Christ from the dead that the Bible calls our attention to. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want to argue today that the resurrection of a dead body meant the raining down of a divine baptism. I want to claim the resurrection of a dead body allows the raining down of a divine baptism. Because he came up, Christians believe that now this divine baptism comes down. Now I know that phrase, baptism in the spirit, might sound a little bit mystical, a bit weird. And at one level I, you know, I'm slightly apologetic for that, but at one level I'm not. See one of the problems is in the Christian faith in the West is that we are... Apologizing for the mystical, mysterious element of this faith. You know, we are being so shaped by modernity in an attempt to be relevant. We're kind of ripping the guts out of the Christian faith, which is ultimately a very mystical thing. You know, Christians believe in a resurrected rabbi. That's quite weird, right? So, at one level, I don't apologize for it at all. But Jesus, if you look at what he says, he's. He's so um, enthused about this baptism, this coming of the Spirit of God, that, that we need to say, well, if we have respect for Jesus, then the stuff that he's really into, the people he's into, the events he's into, we need to take seriously. And some of you who have been on the Alpha course recently, or who have been coming on Sundays as we've been looking at this whole subject of the Holy Spirit, I've seen and we've seen many of us just growing in faith and experience and enjoy joy as we've been sensing the gifts of the holy spirit coming for the first time it not just being like a head thing but the hearts starting to glow a few tears starting to come it's wonderful um and that's why jesus with a smile on his face i think said it's actually better right. that i go can you imagine that that's literally in the bible and some of you are like, you know what, Jesus, I'm just starting to get it. I'm starting to understand how the presence of this Holy Spirit, this drenching, this baptism in, in holy power that you talked about, Jesus, this third person of the, of the Trinity coming to us, is something in some ways even more amazing than you yourself. Something's happening that couldn't happen just with you alone, Jesus. The great uh, commentator Gordon Fee, he says this, one reads Paul, poorly who does not recognise that for him, the presence of the Spirit as an experienced and living reality was the crucial matter, say the crucial, for Christian life from beginning to end. So it is a travesty that I know many of us, let me just be honest, have experienced what you could call charismaniacs. You know, people who, who honestly, just are very strange and make all of this talk of the Holy Spirit totally bonkers. And, and we've all seen it on YouTube, or you, many of you may have even been to churches, where when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, it just gets, not kind of okay weird, you know, just really unsettling, and I need to get out of this place. So I want to say to us that because of that, some of us have thrown the, the baby out with the bathwater. Jesus was like, don't do that, don't do that. The coming of the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, it's going to change everything. So let me look at these three questions that come to mind. What do I really mean by this baptism in the Spirit as connected with the resurrection of Jesus? Number two, why is it important? And number three, how can I then be filled and drenched? Okay? And then we'll pray for each other. And then we'll eat food. Okay. First of all, what do I mean? Well... Let's take those two main bits of that phrase, baptism in the spirit. First of all, baptism. The Greek word baptizo literally simply means to drench. It's not a kind of religious word. It was used in commerce. And when dye was drenched, sorry, no, when cloth was drenched in dye and left there for days, it was said to have been baptized. When a ship sunk really deep, right to the bottom of the ocean, it was said to have been baptised. So it's a very vivid image. And John the Baptist, he described Jesus, he said, wow, behold, the Lamb of God. He said, I baptise people in water for repentance, but this Jesus, if you want to know what he's going to do, it says, I baptise with water for repentance, but he will baptise in the Spirit with power. So he was saying there's this submerging, there's this drenching. Think of a cloth, Going deep. Think of, you know, California has been baptised in rain over the last three or four months, right? The ground is sodden. I need my Wellingtons. I need my big boots. There's this sense of like, this, this image, this word is rich. It's vivid. It isn't just like an intellectual ascent. Oh, I have this thing in my mind. It's this vivid, overwhelming thing that is implied here. Well, what are we baptised into? Holy Spirit. Christians believe that a, a purely rationalistic or materialistic worldview is not adequate, actually, to explain reality. That although partly we are rational and material beings, there's a, there's an unseen realm that is both in some ways malevolent, but also in some ways wonderful. That there is an unseen realm that we have to... Uh, to to, to, uh, come to terms with. And I think many of my friends in the Bay who don't have a Christian worldview would have no problem with that at all. They say, yeah, I love science. I'm a very clever person and I work in tech. I also believe that materialism and uh, simply things that are rational, that isn't enough to explain the world in which I live. There's a trans-rationalism that's going on. There's something, I might not have a Christian worldview, but there's something beyond what you can empirically just measure that seems to be in operation. I think that's a fair view of one of the things I love about the Bay, is actually you've got very, very smart people, but they're not anti the miraculous. My friends anyway, that they're open to seeing things that don't quite logically hold together. So I want to say, yes, I agree with that. And this baptism in Holy Spirit is the Christian worldview that says, you're right, there's something, there's an unseen spirit world that is very real and uh, and the king of that world is this Holy Spirit, and Christians are those who believe that Jesus was here to drench people in this divine presence um, of His power. Now, when Jesus was here on Earth, there was a kind of tension. A kind of tension. He was here, but He was constantly talking about—not constantly. He was often talking about this other person who was coming. So if you've ever read the Gospels, you'll pick up on what I'm talking about. He was often saying, "Well, I'm here, but there's this is one coming." It was almost like, a, "Is it a teaser or a trailer?" You know, kind of like it sounds strange, but Jesus's life was extraordinary. But he said crazy things like, "Actually, you you guys, when the Spirit comes and you're drenched in Him, you're going to do even greater things." And you're like, "What are you talking about?" Jesus said these things because he was so enthusiastic about this coming of this drenching, this this filling, this extraordinary new age that was coming. Let me show you what I mean. John 7, famous words, Jesus says this. On the John recording, what happened, says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. He's saying this in the Middle East, right? It's like 40 degrees all the time. So everyone's like, yeah, that's me. I'm very thirsty. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Oh, this is getting a bit mystical, Jesus. I just wanted some Perrier. So, (laughs) you? what are you talking about? I've got a Coke. Coke Zero, preferably. By this, he meant the Spirit, capital S, whom those who believed in him were later. Say later. later. Later to receive. This is the evidence building. Up until that time, the Spirit, again, had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, this is very important. Track with me. He's like, hey, everybody, who's thirsty? He uses a very normal metaphor. So everyone's like, that's me. I'm always thirsty. I'm really thirsty. It's like everyone huddles around him and says, oh, not yet. Tss, tss, tss. Come back later when I'm glorified. And I was like, okay. <laughs> People were constantly like, drawn to Jesus and confused by Jesus, right? It's all the time, in and out, in and out. Then the next step, a little bit later, Acts 1, then they gathered around him. Similar people. And they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. Say power. (coughs) When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Okay, here we go again. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their side so Jesus now is raised up his ascension occurs third bit we then know that what happens next Jesus goes up and the holy spirit comes down the first ever true pentecost and if you know that bit of acts chapter 2 acts, acts chapter 2 um, 120 people are flooded with this divine baptism. It's crazy. It says there's like a sound, like a mighty rushing wind. It says there's tongues of fire appeared on their heads. People think they're drunk, you know, even though it's early in the morning. They're so joyful. They're high-fiving, I would imagine. They even start to speak in all these languages, you know, I don't know, maybe Spanish or German, Norwegian, who knows? They're speaking in these amazing languages so that all the people who were there from different nations at that time could actually understand this amazing moment that was happening so this is utterly miraculous things happen and then peter stands up and explains it and here we go he says this look again the connection between the historic resurrection and the coming of the baptism in the spirit paul's uh, peter says god has raised this jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it exalted or you could say glorified To the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This is an incredible picture, he's saying. Jesus Christ, the rabbi, he's come back from the dead. He's been raised up. He's glorified. And now he is, it says, he has received from from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and he's poured out now what you see and hear. So Peter is somehow able to say that Jesus Christ is active in pouring out this extraordinary first beginning of this divine baptism. That because Jesus Christ has come back from the dead, he's now raised and receiving from the Father the Spirit and pouring out the Spirit on all these people. So this is, this is very significant here because who, what do we know about Peter, the guy doing all this explaining? Well, one of the most obvious things we know about Peter is that he was a coward, right? Anyone who knows anything about the Bible, you know about Peter denying Jesus. Peter is not a special Christian. He's not some kind of really impressive holy guy who likes to fast and pray. and you know. He is a very weak, cowardly guy like Tom Shaw but he has been flooded with the spirit drenched in the spirit and the Holy Spirit is clearly helping him to explain to all of these people what on earth is going on and he's saying hey you know that Jesus that you put the nails through his hands he's not only come back from the dead he's not only been raised to glory now he is now pouring out this extraordinary thing that you're seeing this power that's coming to planet earth is because of Jesus It's not because of me. It's not because of anything special about Peter. It's because of everything special about Jesus. This is so important that we get this. That the baptism in the Spirit, the flooding, the drenching of all of these people was because of the resurrection and ascension and glorification of Jesus. It's quite scandalous when you think about how um, sinful Peter was. That he is now drenched with the Holy Spirit. Many of us, if you've ever heard any of this kind of teaching before, can get into comparison. We can secretly think, "Oh, Tom, you don't know me. I hardly ever read my Bible, or I don't feel very emotional at church. I see other people, and they're very emotional. You know, I I see these things happening, and I just feel like, God, are you even there?" Right? And all our eyes end up on Tom. They end up on ourselves. But what this says to us. Is that this is a grace encounter peter is like god chose peter the coward the, the traitor he chose him to explain what was happening deliberately so that all of the world could go wow this incredible thing that jesus was so excited about this coming of divine power was explained and announced and pronounced by a guy who was well known for his failings so this is amazing good news if you are like me and you're aware of, like, oh, Tom, you don't understand, I've got all these things. I'm like, shh, shh. i to put my hand on your lips. Shh. Is Jesus resurrected? That's the question. Yes. Is he glorified? Yes. Well, that's, that's all that matters. Because if he can drench this man in holy power, if he can change him from being a coward to someone who gave his life for Jesus, there is hope for all of us. This is tremendous news and it doesn't mean throwing your brain out and just believing. Just trust, throw your brain out. No, no, use your brain. Think about this. Jesus says, when I'm glorified, then the spirit will come. And he was glorified and everything changed forever. And the church was born and 2000 years later, two billion people across this world. Now in one form or another would say, I think this Jesus guy is the real deal. It's glorious. And it's because of this baptism, the Spirit pulsating throughout the world, happening all the time. Probably the reason you're here, whether you know it or not, is because something in you drew you curious to this church. That's the Spirit of God, most likely. He's at work. He's like a river. It isn't The baptism of the Spirit is not a reward for good behaviour. It is a grace gift for sinners like Tom. Hallelujah! It is illogical. It is different to your workplace, where you get rewarded when you hit your targets. The gospel is a gospel of kindness to wicked and evil and selfish people like Tom. It doesn't make sense. It's almost offensive, to be honest with you. It should make you go, hmm, but I'm quite good, Tom. Does that not matter? Well, it does matter, but not really. His, His kindness is beyond comprehension. And we just need to know Jesus is for us. His his spirit is available. He wants us to understand that. When I'd become a Christian, I was um, an atheist until 20, university in Canterbury in England, and I'd become a Christian. But the thing was, I I really tried hard, but um, it it didn't go that well. Um, I remember, you know, um, I just struggled, to be honest with you. It was kind of willpower, mainly. And about two years into being a Christian, I went to church that Sunday, Two of my kids are right here, which is awkward. But anyway, I hadn't had a great week, shall we say. And um, I was a young man, what can I say? You know, I had struggled with the things that often we struggle with. And I, yeah, and and anyway, so, um, oh, hey. And I like ladies, anyway, and um, I came to church and I just felt wretched. You know, no one was saying, oh, you should feel wretched for what you've done. I just, uh, I just felt really oh. And I remember we had, it was like a cold school hall. It was quite a boring meeting to be honest with you. I can't remember what remotely the preacher said, but my heart was like, baw, 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 sitting there going oh. And he said, if anyone wants prayer at the end, I'll be at the front and you can come in and have prayer. Coffee and tea will be on the left. And everyone just goes off to get of coffee and tea. And I, like, go to the front. Feeling completely embarrassed because no one is, no one's following me for breath. It's like, oh, what's Tom done? You know. And I just confessed to this guy. I said, look, I just, I gave him, you know, the rough outline of where I'd failed, that bad, badly that week. And I, rem- I just remember him saying "Can I pray for you just to be filled with the Spirit?" God's for you, Tom. He wants to give you power to live for, for Jesus. I just remember, like it was yesterday. It's twenty-five years ago he just placed his hand on my shoulder and he got through about half a sentence. I can't remember what he said, he just said something like, Lord, thank you that you so love Tom, come Holy Spirit. And I just, something happened in that cold school hall when just, I got it was like electricity, weirdly, it was just down one side of my body, don't understand that. I know you might think I'm crazy, but I cannot, I was the biggest skeptic in all of this. Something There was like a power that was like ignited in me. And it was almost embarrassing. But I was like, I was like I, this is real. I'm not making this up. This is like the most unspiritual moment, you know, in this cold school hall. Everyone's shuffling around <laughs> having coffee in England. And I'm like, what's happening? But this joy and this sense of like, you're forgiven, you're loved, and I'm empowering you. was happening? And I remember I sort of sneaked off to the restrooms because I actually felt high. Before I was a Christian, I used to smoke a little bit of grass, I'm afraid to say, as a hippie. And I remember going to the, to the toilets and thinking, I feel really high. But this is crazy. It's like 11 o'clock and I'm on a rainy day in England. And I'm like stoned, but I'm not stoned, in the looms. This is embarrassing. And I found myself in this little funny little language thing, which I now know is speaking in tongues. It just sort of started coming at me, which was even more weird because I didn't really know what was happening. I remember going back into the hall, like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and they are like, Tom's like, uh-huh. <laughs> now, I had been a Christian for two years. And I want to be really clear on this. You can't actually be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Okay, it says in Corinthians, it says, no one can cry, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. So if you would say you're a Christian, I believe you already have the Holy Spirit. However, what seems to be true in the New Testament is that you can have the Holy Spirit, but not be actually like fully drenched or baptized or filled? There's like a more thing that God always wants us to be greedy for. He wants you to have a holy FOMO, you know. Anyway, he's struggling with FOMO. Oh, what's that over there? You know, you go to like the food court and you're like, I'm. Oh, what's that? That smells good. He wants you to have a holy FOMO when it comes to your spiritual life. So you're like, well, is this it? No, until you go to glory. You know, my granny went to glory. when she was 98. She was filled with the Spirit. She would be talking to you, and then mid-conversation, like, all right, everyone, how are you? Oh, Jesus, I love you. You're so good. you like, what? She was just filled with the Lord. She, she loved him. The Lord wants to always be drenching you, always baptising you again and again. It's not like a one-off thing. It begins, but it goes on. Amen? Amen. So let me argue this really. So you think you're like, well, I, I've never heard this, Tom. Well, this is weird. Let me just try and quickly convince you. First of all, we see in Acts um, in Acts eight, uh, Peter and John are in Samaria. It says this: Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, so people were becoming Christians in Samaria, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them. That they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, when Simon, and he was like a witch, he was a sorcerer, he liked power. When Simon saw that this Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Oh, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. That's in there to demonstrate a non Christian is watching the power of what's happening. So there's these Christians in Samaria, but Peter and John need to come to lay hands on them so that they would be filled. And then it says the Spirit fell on them. This this dramatic word again. It doesn't say he just gently came. The Spirit, he hadn't fallen on them. Number two, Acts chapter nine. You'll know this one probably. Saul, who became Paul, he'd been riding on his horse, gonna go and kill some Christians. You know, off he goes. And on his way, sorry, that and on the way to persecute Christians, she, the resurrected Jesus, there he is again, appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul becomes a Christian. Can I have a hallelujah? hallelujah. He becomes a Christian. He's clearly a Christian. He, he's undone by what's happened. This hasn't been just a mild thing. He's literally knocked off his horse. He's blind. He's in shock for days. But he's born again. He's a Christian. Something's, he's a new creation. And then days later it says so Ananias who's this unknown guy had been told by God to go and do this he departed and he entered the house where Saul was and laying his hands on him he said brother Saul the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you have, you came has sent me so that you may regain regain your sight and be filled with the holy spirit and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes he regained his sight and then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened So even Saul had to rely on someone else to come and to pray for him so that the Spirit might come on him. That he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Third example, Acts chapter 19. This is now in Ephesus. And we see some Christians in Ephesus who also had not been filled with the Holy Spirit. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, uh, no, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, into what then were you baptised? And they said, well, into John's baptism. And Paul said, well, John baptised with, with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So do you see it? There again, there's these disciples wandering around but they haven't been prayed for to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they do, they start speaking in uh, tongues and prophesying. Sometimes when you're filled with the Spirit, you speak in tongues. I don't think you always have to speak in tongues but it seems to often happen. And they start prophesying as well. No one's told them to do it. But when they're drenched in this divine power, they just find it starts to happen. Okay, so point one, let me summarise. What am I saying? What do we mean by baptism in the Spirit? I would say it is often something of a dramatic or unavoidable or um, undeniable kind of coming of God's divine power, purely by grace, not dependent on how holy you feel or anything like that. It can happen at the same time as conversion, but it often doesn't. And so it should leave us with a holy longing for more and more and more of this drenching, this filling of the Holy Spirit. So Tom, number two, why is this important? A couple of things I'd say. First of all, I would boldly say discipleship itself, i.e. following Jesus, is impossible without all the power... That God can give you, right? If you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount alone, Matthew five, six, seven, you actually take that seriously. Who here can can with any straight face say that you could possibly do the things Jesus tells you to do? Forgive your enemies endlessly. You know, if someone takes a thing, you know, offer him the whole of your tunic. You know, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. To truly be like Jesus is impossible. Unless you are filled with a power that is not just willpower or logic, it is a power from somebody else. It's it's a power that this resurrected Jesus is continually pouring out over Robbie, over Ryan, over Daisy, over Sarah. It's like, oh I I can't even do this. I can't I can't even in any way be a Christian unless I am utterly dependent. On an unseen but unbelievable power that makes me be a little bit more like Jesus. So discipleship itself, I would say, is impossible without this ongoing drenching in the Holy Spirit. If you're trying to do it by willpower, you will know it's absolutely impossible. No one is anything like Jesus apart from an ongoing daily miracle of the baptism of the Spirit. And again, just to illustrate it, this was my experience. You know, uh, I, I became a Christian at 20. And then uh, it, it, was over the, it was over the summer of my first year. And so I went into my second year at university in Canterbury and I'd organized my accommodation at the end of my first year for the second year. So I'd organized it when I wasn't a believer or anything like that. And I, I, moved, I remember I moved into my uh, accommodation and I was with three, three girls, me and three girls, in this house. Let's just say they definitely didn't have a Christian worldview. They liked to party. And I remember going to their house. I was in their house. They were upstairs. I was downstairs. I didn't even have a door on my bedroom. I just had beads. And I was like a lamb to the slaughter. Here I am, brand new Christian, trying hard to be a Christian. And they would be like, hey, Tom, you coming out? You know, coming out to the club? It's 10 o'clock. It's time to start our night. And I'd be like, um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'll, i you know, I'm not sure about this. And I remember just basically struggling for those first two years. I wanted to be a Christian, but I struggled so much behind the scenes. And then that day happens that I mentioned earlier, when the Spirit comes on me, and everything started to change. First of all, things like worship. Okay, sung worship times. I don't know if you're anything like me, but naturally, I become. I'm quite self-conscious. And I don't normally scub around singing a lot in my normal week. So suddenly I'm in a room with people I don't necessarily know that well, and someone starts going, Let's sing! And you're like, That's a bit weird. Okay, I'll sing, but this is strange. So singing, I was this new Christian, I was like, I don't really want to sing. Certainly do want to put my hands in the air. That's really weird. And, and I found sort of sung worship very kind of just get through this, get to the talk, right? I can understand that bit. And once I was filled with the Spirit, Suddenly, I began to grow. It's almost like I became more of... I was more God conscious than self conscious. Just a little bit. Like a little, little tiny step and then another tiny step. And I remember every time I tried to do this, I almost could hear the voice of a friend of mine who definitely wasn't a Christian almost like mocking me. You're going put your hand up in worship, you weirdo. And I remember the day when finally I was like, blow it! And I got it up and I was like, yes! This is... This is the power of the Spirit helping Tom to not take himself quite so seriously, which is no small task. I started to take more risks before before being filled with the Spirit. You know, the Christian life, you've got to take risks. It's all about taking risks. And if you never take risks, you're probably not actually following Jesus. I was like, "This this is a tension because Jesus is constantly saying, do these things. And I'm like, I don't want to take risks. I hate failure. I hate failure with a passion. And I don't want to try and do something and then it go wrong. I want to plan so it goes right. But that's not how... Following Jesus is the opposite. So I needed a power to help me to do things that would involve a risk. Um, Even like talking to anyone else about Jesus. I mean, I like people liking me. And in England, if you say you're a Christian, it is like you have farted. It is like you have said the worst thing. I mean, I won't say, I mean, it's, it is so hostile to Christians. You can't overstate it. To say you're a Christian is like a media, like public. You know, you, oh my gosh. So you, you hate people who are gay. You're probably really stingy. You judge everyone. You believe in hell. Hey, you're a nice guy. So in England, to even tell a, a coworker or a neighbor that I'm a Christian is like terrifying. And I know it's similar to that here. But I would say it feels even even more hostile. So the risk of talking about that, about Jesus, but I found by the power of the Spirit, I was able to even risk a bit of rejection. For me saying no to drinking too much. You know, I, I before I was Christian, I loved to drink and I still drink, but I, I'm, not, I'm not Mr. Moderation by nature. You know, I'm quite greedy. So I'm <laughs> kind of all or nothing guy. So I needed the Holy Spirit break to be like, whoa there, Tom, that's enough, boy, come on. Reel it in, that's That's enough, put it down, go to the coke. You know. And and it was like a big deal, because you know, in England there's a big drinking culture, right, and all my mates is based around alcohol, so you go to the pub for a big session, and I'd be like, I've had enough now, and they'd be like, what? Like they'd turn on you like, Judas, you judging me now? It was like a hostile moment when you stopped drinking. I want to be here, can I still be here but not drink? Not really. It feels like that. So, so I, I remember feeling like, okay, I, this is, you know, this is another way that the Spirit is enabling me to actually just try, to try and live out this thing with different values, but not just, you know, withdraw. But at the same time, another mark of the baptism of the Spirit was a fresh love for people. Like I'm quite selfish by nature, or I like people who are very similar to me. Church, we're very different, right? Let's look around this room. We're all very different. And this world is filled with very different people one of the 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 things that i saw in myself was starting to to just feel genuine compassion and love and curiosity in other people if you know me i hope you'll think i'm curious you know i actually am interested in your story when keith was like i'm an accountant i was like really tell me about that you know that is of god by nature i'm a narcissist but something has changed that is not it's, it's it's not of me right Come on, you know what I'm saying? He changes us. And you know, he's not trying hard. It's this drenching of divine power that means you become someone different. I, I remember thinking, you know, I love dancing. I love dancing. I like to go to the nightclub. But I, that's just, for me, that's sort of associated with, you know, stuff I used to do. So I remember having like a, like a, a friend who was also a Christian, but he loved dancing. He wasn't as good as me, but he liked dancing as well. And we used to, we go, let's... You you know, we don't want to just become like people who, you know, who hide away. Because all of our friends love dancing. So we used to go to the nightclub and we'd be like, we're kind of accountability buddies. And uh, every hour or two, I'd go into the restroom into one of the little cubicles and just quietly speak in tongues. And just be like, okay, for me again, let's do it. And out I go. Because I'm a weak man. And I can easily make mistakes. But I was depending on him, learning. So, number one, discipleship itself I would honestly say, if you find discipleship like almost impossibly hard, maybe God wants to fill you afresh. So you're not trying hard; you're actually relying on the wind. The wind's in my back now. Yeah. You know when the wind's in the? You know, oh, this is hard work. Woo! Come on! I'm loving people, and I'm and I'm kind to people. I can see I can never be a pastor. It's a joke. So my values have changed so much again because of the Spirit and His power in me. Secondarily, Second reason this is really important is the deadness in the church in the West. Is it not true that if you talk to someone who isn't a Christian, the number one reason they don't believe, ne- not nearly always, is because of Christians? <laughs> it's not a difference of like intellect. Often it's like, oh yeah, I'm kind of interested in that Jesus guy. It's just the people who associate with him that I have a problem with. This city is filled with people with legitimate hurt. Legitimate hurt. And if you listen to them, their stories are heartbreaking about Christians who have come crashing in with their judgmentalism often, bashing them over the head with their Bibles, metaphorically, and it's heartbreaking. All are just kind of like super uptight and they're as different from the day of Pentecost as you could imagine. You know, they sit there and, I mean, I know I've got a suit, like a jacket on today, but I like jackets, but you know what I'm saying, there's a kind of deadness. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher from England, he said the number one problem with the church in the West is its lack of joy. Its lack of joy. Lack of joy. I I remember when we used to meet in another venue in the Mission District, and we had to hire it, and there was a coffee shop, and there was a girl who went to the coffee shop, and she saw us coming in, setting up, having a service and leaving. And after a few months, I got chatting to her at the end, and she said, you lot, you you, you Christians, you're all right, actually. You're okay. I was like, high praise, thank you. He said, I've got to be honest with you, we've had a couple of other churches here before, and I listened to what they talk about, and it's all like, oh, we've got to make Christianity really relevant, and we're going to change how we do it and everything. And she said to me, I just thought to them, why don't you just try being nice? Just try being nice. She said, you're nice. I was like, I wanted to cry. And I was like, thank you, That's, that matters, right? Christians and men are meant to be a bit different. We're not perfect. We make a ton of mistakes. Look at Paul, who wrote those in the New Testament, who had a massive brain, very clever. He was a joyful guy. He was singing even when he was imprisoned at midnight. My big brother, recently, uh, he's a, he, he was a professor of Stanford University for many years, and he's uh, a mythologist, New Age kind of guru guy. And um, he certainly wasn't a Christian. <laughs> and uh, he had a radical, extraordinary, supernatural, miraculous experience about a year and a half ago in the woods in England. And he definitely believes in God now. <laughs> and uh, it was so funny. He, he like, There was this new like sense of reverence for God that's in him. And uh, he, his church that he goes to in England is nine people. Most of them are over the age of 80. It's a, an Eastern Orthodox church. And um, for them, you know, communion is a massive deal. So you don't rush into it. And, um, and he was building up to this. He was going. And then one Sunday, he was like, okay, i take communion. And he, he went to the service of nine people in this little church, mostly older ladies, and he took communion. And he said, as that service went on, I was absolutely drenched filled, flooded with the very power of God. Just over that time, something was happening into me. I could just sense it. And he said, I drove out, and I was literally, I felt, drunk. Driving through this little town in England, in the middle of the day, he ran through a red light in his car, because he was so filled with the Spirit. And someone shouted at him, and he wound down his window, because we all have windy windows in England. He he wound (laughs) down his window and said, I'm sorry, sorry, I've been to church! (laughs) And for him, church was this place where there was a power. There's a power. You know, uh, a lady of high rank and and, uh, standing in New York uh, famously said when she met the revivalist George Whitfield, you've probably heard the name, who moved in the power of God, she said, um, Mr. George Whitfield was so cheerful that he tempted me to become a Christian. (laughs) I love that. Thirdly, the days ahead. We are living in times where you know the Bible says it and you can see it on the news there is growing hostility to the Christian faith it's not shocking it's not it's not surprising that is the world that we, we live in many many Christians already live in places where if they confess publicly that they're a Christian their life will either be ended or they'll have imprisonment. it's very likely in the States and certainly is happening in the UK that the hostility is going to increase 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 and the Bible basically says that the days will get darker but that the church will get brighter. As it gets darker, God's going to turn up the power for those who really know him. So we're going to be real about that, but we, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear. So finally then, and with this we'll finish, how can I be filled, Tom? I am a little bit persuaded this is true. And I can see now actually why it is quite important. So how how can I take a step today before we leave? Well, let's finish with the very verse we started with John 7. Jesus said these words, didn't he? We read them a while ago. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Okay, number one, anyone. Say anyone. Anyone. So this really is for anyone. As I said at the beginning, if Peter was the guy who was drenched in the spirit and was explaining it, Peter the coward, Peter the traitor, Peter who really wasn't impressive, you can trust that no matter how much you don't feel qualified... If you're here today, Jesus is like, yeah, we, you've got a heartbeat, you know, so you qualify as an anyone. Some of you are starting to even experience this over the last few weeks, as you've been at Sanctuary or Alpha. You're like, I would never have imagined that I could start to actually sense something of this power. You know, my heart, my, I'm just being affected by this unseen person. It's, it's no longer a head thing. And, uh, and you're realising, oh, this really is for anyone, Tom. This isn't, okay, an elite thing, if you get it just right. Secondarily, though, he says, if anyone thirsts. There is a thirsting. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. There's a strange kind of hunger that you do need, or a thirst. Some of us are like, well, I'm open, Tom. You know, I'm open to this. And that's not really what the Bible says. It's not about being open. It's about thirsting. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty... Let him come. What I have found in my life is the more sort of comfortable my life is, often the less thirsty I am. The more my life is actually pretty hard, and challenges come. Often I find my thirst for just power and God starts to grow. Anyone here ever experienced that in your life? So sometimes the things that we want to get rid of, the pain and the difficulties, are strange, strangely a kind of gift. They can make us just more thirsty and desperate for God. So God, it's for anyone, but it, but there's a thirst that he does look for in you. There's some measure of like desire and longing. You know, if you go to a, a pub, I've mentioned pubs a lot tonight. <laughs> if you go to a, a bar or a pub, you know, often people are desperate for a drink, for a drink. And even polite Americans, you know, you kind of nudging each other out of the way, right? You're trying to get to the bar. You want to be seen. There's a sense in which Jesus is like, I want to see a bit of that. I want to see you kind of come to me. I don't want you to be thinking just about people around you. I want you to be coming and demonstrating a thirst that actually I will honour. I will honour. Finally, he says, if anyone who thirsts, come to me and drink. Look at those words. He doesn't say, come to Tom or come to some other sort of person that in your head you might think is really a spiritual person. He says, come to me. This is Jesus. So although I'm doing human talking, this is an invitation for each of us and Jesus. Come to me and drink. And when we drink, drinking is both kind of passive and active, right? You're, 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 you have to pick up the cup. There's an activity to it. but There's also like a surrender. You're trusting that that stuff that's going to go into your mouth is not poison, but gold. You know? So there's this like, I'm going to do something. I'm coming. I'm a little bit thirsty. I'm open. But Lord, help me to come and drink. I want to drink. So there's a sense in which we don't go all passive. We say, if right now, as you're hearing this, if, if there's even like a little spark in your heart of just like, I'm longing. I'm longing to just sort of taste something of this power of this filling of this this divine baptism that you're talking about Tom that Jesus was so excited about I think I can say it yeah I think I definitely qualify as an anyone um, and I am thirsty and I want to come and drink then right now we're just gonna give an opportunity to be filled afresh or to be maybe filled for the first time baptised with the Holy Spirit. So should we stand to our feet? If Becca, um, you could, or Jordan, there'll be a song playing for us, just to help us. Let's close our eyes, just so that we are most aware of, of Jesus than anyone And uh, we're not going to hype this up. There's absolutely no need. It's all about Jesus and His desires and wills and, and, and love for you. But if today you would love to be just, just filled with the Spirit, okay, uh, drenched for the Spirit to fall on you. All these metaphors are just interchangeable. If you think, well, Tom, I think I think I am a Christian. Um, but I don't really, I don't really feel it. I don't sense his, his power. I'm hungry for all he might have for me. I just want to encourage you right now, just to maybe, maybe even just hold up your hand, maybe just so we can pray for you. This ultimately doesn't need anyone at all. This is between you and God. But if you're willing to just, um, yeah, have someone come and and just pray with you right now, Um, maybe you can signal that by just keeping your hands in that place. If you want this just to be a personal thing and no one else involved, you can let your hands go down. But if some of the leaders today, if you could just even look around the room now and guys with guys, ladies with ladies, if you just want to try and find someone whose hand is open now, and just ask them if they're happy for you to just pray with them. I'm going to lead us through this, but it'd be great if we just had a few leaders look around the room and just move amongst those whose hands are raised. There's quite a few people here who are hungry for prayer. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we love you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thanks, Church. Wonderful. The Holy Spirit, He, uh, as we've know, as we've been discovering, He's God. He's already here. He loves you. He doesn't need you to uh, do anything apart from thirst and come to Him and drink. So, Lord, as we just stand here today, we as your children, um, just as normal people, we want to say, would you come and fill us with your spirit today? Would you come and... uh, Would you come and ignite our hearts? Let rivers of power um, mark your church. We love you. We thank you, God, that your church has always been a people so dependent on you Holy Spirit and we just want to say would you fill and fall on everyone here who is in some way reaching out to you right now we thank you Lord we thank you your resurrection means so much to us thank you Jesus you're raised from the dead and you are at work right now in all of these hearts all across this room. We're going to sing a song. So feel free to join with us a final song or two. We'll see. But if you're being prayed for, you just enjoy the presence of your Lord. He loves you. He loves to drench and to fill. His